0: Good morning, FPC friends, visitors, uh, family. We're so glad that you're here uh, today. As we just sang, uh, the the wonderful work of God and and naming uh, His identity as something that gives us life and joy and meaning and all these things. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes our experience uh, of life is just not that? And yet there's something stabilizing about Uh, the lyrics of a song that remind us of of something that's true. I don't know about you. I don't know uh, particularly how this pandemic has has begun to impact your family now that we've been in it for a few weeks. But there's just this weird tension in life, right, between uh, what is wonderfully true and what is terribly broken. No matter how silly it is, even this scratch that's on my forehead uh, from me and my littlest daughter wrestling on the floor. You see, we live in this... uh, this this strange uh, yet beautifully uh, loved and broken and redeemed world that God has made for us uh, to find him in it. And so as we consider what is true, as we are Easter people who live on the empty side of the tomb, I want to invite us uh, to go backwards just just a little bit and hopefully lead us back through uh, that grave, if you will, if I can use such a stark image. I want to invite you to prepare emotionally uh, just a little bit um, to a graveside service. I know that sounds grim, but but I want you to try to go there because your your ability to, to emotionally or, or through a memory connect uh, will truly help uh, you and I both to hear uh, what it is Jesus is saying to us. I've had the privilege of, of accompanying Tim uh, to several graveside services, and among the privileges of ministry, they are uh, some of the primary privileges. Being in, and as you know, sort of a sacred space, a space that, uh, that there, is no, uh, there, there is no more vulnerable reality from either birth or, or death or, and even marriage. That these things in our lives, that this is where we find the truest marks of our humanity. And I've had the privilege of joining many of you around these moments in time that as they're so vulnerable they etch themselves in our hearts so i invite you to recall one not not to try to drum up a a terrible memory but but to allow yourself to to yet again come to a place like that because that's where we're going jesus is arriving at a grave. And he's got his band of brothers with him. They're as confused as ever as to what is about to happen. And this is who they're about to meet, Lazarus. This is one of Jesus' friends, we're told earlier. He is the brother of Mary and uh, Martha in the town of Bethany. Lazarus has been dead for a number of days, and and we're about to come into this this sacred moment of time. And let us hear from God what it is, um, the, the truth that, uh, that buoys us in ways we have never considered. Joining me with God's word, John chapter 11, uh, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Similar to how the church's bereavement committee would would meet with those, uh, those bereaved uh, family members. So when Martha heard about Jesus, that he was coming, she went to and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again, and the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray together. Lord, you have created time and and there we have these broken and and terrible expiration dates on it, on this side of your second coming. Lord, we pray that as we encounter the the beauty, surprising beauty of, of this moment in time, that you would stir us up, that you would give us such resilience as we have found Life in you, Jesus. So God, do that. Set us apart. Find us. Grab hold of us through this passage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've had the privilege of uh, meeting one of your favorite musicians or getting a backstage pass uh, to, uh, to that, at that concert. Or maybe you've been able to, to meet uh, the chef of one of the favorite restaurants you've ever attended Dori and I had the privilege of, of a really neat engagement uh, dinner, and, and it was a really tiny atmosphere with just a handful of tables. And I'll never forget that toward the end of our meal, the chef comes out, and the gap that existed between this, uh, this beautiful meal and, and the person preparing it shrunk to about six inches. And here we were able to ask him questions about the meal that he had served uh, to us. Maybe, you're, maybe you uh, enjoy fine art and there's a number of pieces in your home, or as you've been to galleries, and you just wonder about the artist who created that. You know, maybe you're like me, and you enjoy sports, and the privilege of meeting the athlete on the other side of the performance. I had an awkward moment one time. I was with my family, my sister in Manhattan, and my brother-in-law, and I saw Jorge Posada, a famed catcher in the MLB, and I just really embarrassed myself and, and like just scrambled over to him as quick as I could. I'm not even a Yankees fan, but he, he's, he's been one of the greats. And I introduced myself to him. and He was, he was very kind to me, of course. But, but maybe you can relate to this, this, uh, this transition from being an outsider uh, to an insider, from being an observer to a participant. I think one of the things we, we, we forget is that in, in most of life, we, we, we don't really have that opportunity. There are natural barriers between us uh, receiving the gift and, and meeting the giver. Think of the, the ones I just named. So there's, there's a layer of mystery, and part of that is wonderful, of course. But I think the other problem that this, this passage reveals uh, as true in our hearts, in our nature, is that we get stuck in this process. We get content in this process of, of moving as Christians from the outside to the end. Many of our seniors will, will head to college this year, and they are uh, declared students, already uh, members of, of different wonderful universities and colleges around the country. But there will be a difference between uh, today or, or even you know, September 1 and May, four years from now, right? But While they remain the students, there is a degree of internalization that has happened, there's there's so much pride that is likely bursting through her uh, through her heart for, for that school. You see, we get often get stuck. We get content with with the product instead of the one who has provided it. Uh, we we're satisfied to, to simply consume. We substitute the provisions for the provider. Let's look at the provisions first. If you, in, in verse 21 and 24, we, we get something from Martha. She says, Lord, if, if only you had been here, right? You could have done something. You could have prevented this death. I know that you're a miracle worker. I know that you bring life to people. I know that's what you do. And then he responds to her, she, she says, I know that you'll rise. Uh, us again in the resurrection from the dead. The Jewish people had already, that, that worldview was, was already a part of their life. They understood that the, the Creator God was going to, to raise everyone on this last and final judgment day where, where evil is vanquished and good is brought forever. She understood that. This, these are the work, this is the work of God. But she remains stuck with their provisions, missing the provider Himself. You see, Martha begins to relate to Jesus through these means. Not shamefully so. In fact, this is how many of us find ourselves relating to God, enjoying Christ. Is is we this is the entry point, so to speak, through through his work. And but one of the ways that, that our stuckness is is often seen most acutely and experienced most acutely is in something like this: suffering and death. You know, there's there's hardly you've heard no no atheists in a foxhole. There's, there's people proclaiming faith who are encountering diagnoses of, of terminal effect. We quickly look to someone or something to help us in moments of tragedy, pain, disappointment, anxiety. This is where we see it. We, and we often do one of two things, we, uh, particularly to death, as, as we see here. We either deny it or we sentimentalize it. Deny it, we stuff it, you know we, we, we try to remove the thought from 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 our life we we become cold and hardened to the brutality of death and what's actually true and good about us as we respond that way is is we're noticing something that's very real that death is absurd it's an evil invader in god's good creation. It is not the way life is ever meant to be, but it overcompensates it, it names it as an enemy, death, but it overcompensates and, and, and it becomes cold and, and calculated and distanced. Those of us that we tend to sentimentalize it, we, we, uh, we, we can miss the fact that, that death is in fact suffering is not good, that it's wrong, that it's not a part of God's design for our life. We can, we can even romanticize it in some ways. And so, so we miss the fact that we need to take the pain of this seriously. But what we do get right, those of us who tend to sort of sentimentalize it, is we do correctly understand that the death uh, for those of us in Christ is something of a portal to life with God. We see this in Paul in his letter to the Philippians. He says, To live is Christ, but to die is gain. So these are common responses uh, to, to the acute, um, deadly reality of suffering and death in, in this world. But both reveal how it is that we, that we tend to relate to Jesus. And, and if we're honest, it, it's often in, in the form of, of Jesus, the moral exemplar. He's one that we follow. He's one that we emulate. Not our resurrection life. You see, it, it makes me think of uh, stories I've heard, or I can at least imagine um, the Hilson family or the Everett family, grabbing tickets uh, for, for their kids to Disney. And, and they surprise them with these tickets. And they, the only way that this trip is going to be uh, worthwhile is the shared memory of that gift with them. That Going through the rides, making their way through the Magic Kingdom, being with one another, having pictures made together. You see when we substitute uh, provisions for a provider, we miss, we miss what God is trying to do. He is trying to find that, that as we relate just through the gift, that we would find Him. As we relate just to the provision of life, just to uh, this doctrine of resurrection that's presented to us, that we would find the one who is that resurrection. John Calvin wrote uh, in, in one of his, his long works, he says that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him and all, and, the, and all that He has suffered and done for, the provisions, for the salvation of the human race remains useless and no value for us. We have to drink the medicine for it to work. Life substituting the, the, the provisions of God, the, the product that God provides without receiving the person himself remains ineffectual. Don't miss, however, that you know, Martha, Martha remains a beloved member of, of Jesus' community. Going back to that illustration I gave with the students entering college, there is, there is still a reality over their lives that they belong to this universe. They, she belongs to Jesus. But her, uh, but her faith in Christ is, is yet incomplete. This leads us to our second point. God begins to do this internalizing work for us. You see, He doesn't send resurrection as a gift. He sends the resurrection. He sends Himself. Verse 25, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You'll remember Exodus chapter 3, Moses, he, he's encountered God through a bush that won't stop burning. And, and as he leaves, terrified, he says, Lord, how will they know who sent me? And he says, say to them, I am who I am sent you. A statement of, of eternal an eternal being who has kept his steadfast covenant with these people their entire existence. This personal God reveals himself as that. And Jesus, in this moment, says, Martha, you're looking for the gift of life. I have come as the life. And I'm able to do this transition in your life, to move you from being stuck and content with the provisions to being delighted with the one himself, because I am him. He equivocates the gift with himself. This, is, this would be a terrible idea for us parents. Or even us as friends or spouses to, to, to talk to someone and say when they've, when they've done something wrong to you or they've frustrated you or they angered you and you said, you are bad, you are frustrating, you are mean. When we begin to equivocate, we, we create shame in, in that person's life. But when God does it, because He's so perfect, because He finds, He tells Martha that He is God, that there she has this movement between being stuck with, with the gift of raising Lazarus to actually being the life of Lazarus. So how does this benefit become ours? How, how does this truly begin to sink in? Well, You may have heard me say it, but whoever believes into me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes into me shall never die. The word that John uses is you know it, it, it's not you it can 't put a whole lot of, of freight heavy heavy lifting on it but but it has this connotation of entrance of 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 trajectory you know if if I were going to publics I, I would say i'm going into publics versus a statement like "I live in Thomasville." J- John is using the into publics word ace. you see Jesus is saying the mechanism between that the, the, the closes the gap between artist and the and piece of art between music and the musician between chef and, and and the food is belief belief into himself he connects the death working backward gift to himself and it's something we receive by faith not as a gift but we receive him entirely you and I, we, we live stuck often. We, we grow content of, of the gap that exists between the gifts of God in our life and, and Himself, the work of God's hand in our life and, and Him. When we've been designed for participation, we, we often choose to consume, to, to be bystanders. And He says, there's so much more. And this transition, this internalization, this soaking in from from uh, provision to provider comes in this union with Him that, that, that we have as we, as we entrust our lives to Him, as He embraces us entirely. So, so, Skyler, what does this mean to be united to Jesus? It means that all of your baggage, uh, all, all of your regrets, whatever the, the thing that you are ter- terrified to remember as you sleep, Jesus identifies Himself there. He, he takes the place of, of that Shameful thing, thought or act how, how do I know this? We see when when John uh, baptizes Jesus, he says, Jesus, please don 't let me do this 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 water is filthy it 's dirty and he says no th- this this must happen. You see, as the waters of baptism are poured on jesus it is it is all those terrible uh, lies that we've harbored about ourselves, the anger that, that we've had toward other people, the selfishness that, that, that we've sort of held within is washed over Him. So that on the cross, as, as His blood flows down and washes over us, that, that, that we begin to take part in His life. Not just the gift that He provides, not just forgiveness, not just mercy, not just kindness, but I am Himself. You see, we we get to wear the accomplishments of God. We we, we get to wear the gold medals, as it were. Here's some of those from from Hebrews uh, chapter 1. This is about Jesus, the person you've been united to. But But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. You're an heir of all things, through whom... He also created the world. We weren't there. We're we're, we're getting the credit. He is the radiance and glory of God. You have become the crown on the king's head. Because he exchanged your filth with his righteousness by faith. The gift that stirs every act of obedience. The the movement that happens between provision and, and provider from duty to delight from usefulness to beauty is Jesus pulling you into his very life. You know, it's like that Instagram filter, if there ever was one, where, where you get to put Jesus on your face so that, so that the people, as they see you, they see him. It's as if the, the yearbook of, of, of the people of God is laid out and there are all these people's faces and the names next to them are Jesus the Christ. Do you see? Do you see how much more lovely it is to have this transition happen in your life through faith? This is why the resurrection and the life came not as a gift, but as a person. Do you believe it? Let me pray for you with the words of St. Augustine. Give us yourself, oh my God. Give yourself to us, We love you, and if our love is too weak a thing, grant us to love you more strongly. We cannot measure our love to know how much it falls short of being sufficient, but let my soul hurry to your embrace and never be turned away until it is hidden in the secret shelter of your presence. This only do I know, that it is not good for us when we are not with you, when you are only outside of us. We want you in our very selves. All the plenty of the world, which is not our God, is complete want. Amen.